Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the Catholic Halos podcast. I'm Veronica Ambule, editor of the Colorado Catholic Herald newspaper, and I'm joined today by uh, Deacon Doug Flynn, the General Counsel and Chief of Staff for the Diocese of Colorado Springs, and Deacon Patrick Jones, who's the founder of Catholic Halos. Um, before we get started, um, Deacon Doug, can you lead us in an opening prayer? You bet. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. So our, our topic today is, is going to be um, something that has been in the news quite a bit over the past week. And um, basically, it's the response of the U.S. Catholic bishops uh, to the various coronavirus vaccines that have come on the market over the last couple of months. Um, so Deacon Doug, can you kind of give us an overview of what's happened? Sure. And uh, what I'd like to start out by saying is <clears throat> these COVID-19 vaccines are not the first time uh, the Catholic bishops of the United States and the world <clears throat> have addressed um, the use of aborted uh, fetal stem cell lines in the production and various phases in putting together vaccines. Uh, but obviously, uh, with the concerns about COVID-19 worldwide and uh, the, the obvious uh, mortality rates and, and death rates that are out there, uh, I think it's brought this to the fore. So uh, in the United States, I can't speak for the rest of the world because I think there's maybe 40 or 50 different types of vaccines out there, uh, and they're all different types of vaccines. But the two in the United States that uh, were approved by the FDA first were by Pfizer and Moderna. And, and both of those, uh, the U.S. Uh, Conference of Catholic Bishops noted that um, neither of those vaccines involved the use of those um, questionable cell lines. Uh, that originated in field tissue taken from the body of an aborted baby at any level of design, development, or production. Uh, the concern that um, some of the faithful had was that um, though both of those did make use of tainted cell, so cell lines uh, for one of the confirmatory lab tests of their products. So there was, there was a connection with evil, but uh, the USCCB anyway opined that it was a relatively remote uh, concern. And what what came to mind recently was uh, the United States uh, approval of the uh, Johnson & Johnson COVID-19 vaccine uh, that, again, raised uh, some questions about the moral permissibility of using vaccines, because in that case, Johnson & Johnson's was developed, tested, and produced uh, with the help of these abortion-derived cell lines. So um, I think there was a lot of... Um, questions out there among the faithful as to how do we how do we weigh all this and what guidance uh, is out there and um, how do we how do we balance if you will the good of a vaccine um, that could protect us and protect our families and, and neighbors and loved ones with cooperation in the evil of abortion and uh, so the most recent statement that I could pull up from the US Conference of Catholic Bishops, 
said that while we should continue to insist that pharmaceutical companies stop using abortion-derived cell lines, given the worldwide suffering that this pandemic is causing, we affirm again that being vaccinated can be an act of charity that serves the common good. Uh, that was their that was sort of their final uh, statement that I could find while saying that obviously if uh, if you're given a choice and you have the ability to choose a vaccine in the United States at least uh, that Pfizer or Moderna's vaccine should be chosen over Johnson and Johnson's. So hopefully that's a 10,000 foot view uh, of kind of what what I understand is out there and I want to want to go on record as saying for the three of us and you can jump in different if you have a different thought but these are just our personal understandings uh, and so uh, certainly we're not uh, purporting to be experts either in moral theology or vaccines. Uh, we're just trying to share uh, with our listeners what our understanding of the situation is. Well, and I would just um, jump in and and say that, um, kind of relate my, my experience over the past week or so. So um, Bishop Sheridan issued um, his own statement on the Johnson and Johnson vaccine that very very much I would say echoed the the USCCB pro-life committee um, and where he said that if you know if anybody has a choice in which vaccine to receive that they should go with Pfizer or Moderna and that um, the Johnson and Johnson vaccine was was not morally acceptable and um, we, we received a couple of inquiries from local media outlets and I uh, sent his statements to one of those outlets and uh, they, they posted a story on, on um, well, they, they reported um, the story on, I believe that was evening news and the following day it was on Facebook. And I have to say, I was amazed at the response that it got. I mean, it was, it was a huge amount, something like 143 comments. Um, and from what I could tell, most of them were negative. Um, most people did not appreciate um, the church weighing in on this issue. So re regardless of where one stands, it does seem like they're, they're, um, it's something that has to be addressed. Um, it's, it's not, it, it's, it's, it is really generating a lot of conversation. And the, and the one thing that I would say from my perspective is that um, we we have to we do have to kind of be um, be clear that the I, I I think that the bishops are putting the onus on the the pharmaceutical companies themselves, not on the individual person out there who might want to get vaccinated. Um, and so so they're not saying that that you know the person who receives the Johnson and Johnson vaccine is, is doing something sinful. Um, what they're, what they're saying is that we want to use, you know, in a sense of vote with our dollars and support the companies that are developing vaccines without recourse to um, aborted fetal cells. So for what it's worth. <laughs> no, Veronica, I appreciate that. And, and uh, just another top level, um, explanation is my understanding is that the Johnson and Johnson vaccine is a different type of vaccine than both the Pfizer and the Moderna. 
the Pfizer, and again, just from a common sense logic standpoint, the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines are required to be kept very, very uh, chilled and require two uh, doses to reach full effectiveness. And the effectiveness is in the 90%, as I understand it, uh, protection for Pfizer and Moderna. Uh, the Johnson and Johnson is is easier to transport and thus maybe easier to uh, to distribute. It only requires one dose, but it has a lower um, efficacy. I can't remember whether it's in the eighty percent range. I think all. it's in the sixties, sixties, yeah. sixty to seventy percent range, which I was which was surprising. But yeah, I mean, so you could say just from an efficacy standpoint, um, if people have a choice regardless of what they think about the use of um, uh, aborted fetal stem cell lines, they might want the one that's more efficacious, uh, a vaccine that's more efficacious. But um, Deacon Patrick, I, uh, I I know you have strong feelings on this and you've uh, been involved in the vaccine production uh, situation long before we knew what COVID-19 was. <laughs> um. <clears throat> So my own personal take on this, uh, and this stems from uh, my experience looking for ways to uh, do uh, maximize my recovery from my brain injury, um, is I try to access God's engineering as my first response to everything, um, which basically means I go as simple as I possibly can on any particular thing that I'm doing. What is the, what are the mechanisms God engineered into our biology and into our soul so that we can address this? Um, and the simplest explanation that I have for this is, uh, I've got vertigo all the time. And so if I wear regular shoes, if I take two steps, I fall over, uh, from the cushion in them, from the support. Basically what I've learned is they deafen my feet so that my body doesn't know where I am in space. And my, I can't compensate for the vertigo that feels, makes it feel like the planet's trying to throw me off. Uh, I guess it got to know me a little too well and <laughs> it wants to, wants to, to send me flying out like an asteroid. Um, but what I discovered is that by going barefoot, and in specific shoes that still allow my feet to, um, feel, um, the, what's called proprioception, God engineered our bodies so that when our feet function properly and move properly and feel properly, our muscles know where we are in space and my brain doesn't have to try to figure out where I am and it can ignore the vertigo. Um, it can ignore trying to figure out how to move through space. My muscles know how to do that. Um, so that's a kind of a long explanation to get to, well, what's God's engineering when it comes to viruses? Cause we seem to be ignoring natural immunity and building it up. And in these discussions around the virus and the uh, vaccine that's lost. If you've built up a natural immunity, virology up until recently said you don't need a vaccine. <laughs> um, well, and Deacon Patrick, this is Doug. I think 
I think there have been, or I've seen at least, uh, reports out there that say that uh, if you have uh, contracted the virus and naturally developed antibodies, those are more effective than whatever uh, would be whatever protection would be provided by any type of vaccine. So I don't. I think you're correct. Um, and yet, I know of a number of folks who have had it. They've tested positive for it, uh, and they've been told by medical professionals, "You need to get the vaccine anyway." Um, that doesn't make any sense to me. And then there are reports that the the vaccine, because it's been rushed through, has higher risks than other uh, vaccines. So the the medical world is asking people to take a risk, um, be part of a guinea pig pool for learning what do, how well does this work. Um, people should be aware of that. People should seek out information. I think before receiving the vaccine. Uh, and then I, I also wanted to address, um, the, the thinking that the, the USCCB, uh, lays out for, um, uh, I can't remember which one of you uh, mentioned that, you know, basically the bishops have said any presence of the uh, abortion taint, um, in, in the ones where it was done in testing, not in development, uh, I would argue testing is part of development, but, um, that seems a distinction without a difference to me. Uh, but again, I'm not a moral theologian, so I don't, I don't know how all these things play out. Um, but the, the logic of it is that the, the moral gravity of the virus and the spread of the virus and the severity of the virus and the risk of death from the virus outweighs the moral gravity of abortion tainted vaccines. And that's a subjective judgment. I, and I don't, I don't know. I, it seems to me, uh, personally, I would draw the line very differently than where I'm hearing it being drawn. Um, and especially given the information out there that the virus may not be what we're being told it is in terms of how severe it is. Um, I, I think people should be eyes open and look for news from sources that aren't giving the party line over and over and over. And, uh, I, I would, I would recommend looking for information that matches up with logic and reason instead of, uh, what looks to be, um, potential, uh, some, some other agenda possibly a play. I, I don't know. I don't know what, <laughs> how else to describe it. But there seems to be a lot of red flags about the information that is being disseminated out there and also being suppressed, actively suppressed. Uh, we've talked about uh, how social media is suppressing Catholics. It's also suppressing information that's asking questions about the virus. Uh, so I would be censored just for saying what I've said here now. 
uh, cancel Patrick is not going to happen here on this podcast. But. <laughs> <laughs> let, me, let me jump up a level and, and try and get a little more uh, history. I mentioned that, uh, that this issue of the question of using aborted fetal stem cell lines for vaccines has been around long before COVID-19. And I just want to read a little bit from a letter to the bishops uh, of, of the USCCB from uh, the chairman from the Committee on Doctrine and the chairman for the Committee on Pro-Life Activities from back in November of last year. And they point out that there are documents from the Holy See uh, that treat the question of tainted vaccines. Uh, there's a 2005 study by the Pontifical Academy for Life. Uh, there is a 2008 instruction on certain bioethical questions, dignitatis personae. Uh, and then there's a 2017 note uh, on an Italian vaccine issue again, by the Pontifical Academy for Life. And, and I'll just quote here um, from what the document says, because it's fairly, fairly short. These documents all point to the immorality of using tissue taken from an aborted child for creating cell lines. They also make distinctions in terms of the moral responsibility of the various actors involved, from those involved in designing and producing a vaccine to those receiving the vaccine. Most importantly, they all make clear that at the level of the recipient, it is morally permissible to accept a vaccination when there are no alternatives and there is a serious risk to health. So Deacon Patrick, I think you were pointing out, you know, people do have to make moral decisions as to, depending on their age group or depending on whether they have comorbidities, is there a serious risk to their health? Uh, and are there no alternatives? And that seems to be where uh, the bishops recently have said, well, there are al better alternatives than Johnson & Johnson uh, in the first two that were approved. Going forward... Um, well, and, and let me jump in real quick there. <clears throat> What's the definition of alternatives? Are we only considering the pool of available vaccines or are we looking at what are the alternatives for acquiring immunity and treating the virus? Because a lot of the treatments for the virus have been uh, downplayed from what I understand also. Um, I can neither confirm nor deny that one of my family members a year ago said she wanted to have a pox party. So. <laughs> now Doug's being canceled. Well, but, but I mean, um, it, it is interesting because from what I've observed just, you know, on social media, there's some, there is disagreement among the bishops themselves. So, um, I, I mean, if nothing else, I think we can draw from this debate that there needs to be more, um, study and investigation of, of this issue because, it's kind of, it's almost like uncovering maybe a, a certain um, lack of attention, you know, that's been paid uh, maybe up till this point, because there, there are, there are maybe a minority, but still there are some bishops that have, have come out and said, um, no, if, if there's any association, no matter how remote with abortion, then we shouldn't be getting the vaccine. And then on the other end of the spectrum, there's, they've been, there've been bishops who've said essentially that 
the risk of the uh, the risk of the virus is such that um, basically we don't need to to worry about it too much. So, um, I, well, I, I mean, yeah, go ahead, Deacon Patrick. That raises one of the questions that we've talked about on previous episodes around the the state of science, um, and. Uh, one of the big red flags that there might be something going on other than the direct pursuit of truth is whenever you hear somebody claiming something is science saying there's a consensus among scientists. Well, science doesn't require consensus. Truth doesn't require consensus. We might all think something is true, the earth being flat, and it doesn't change the fact that the earth is round. <laughs> so um, we can get a whole lot of very, very smart people, very good at justifying what they believe, but they may be missing something underneath. Uh, and when we look at the, the directions, the secularization of science and the church backing out from shepherding science, we're paying a price as a culture, as a, as a global species for the, um, the lack of science being answerable to faith. And what does that look like to return science to faith? Um, and, and so that gets to the, the sort of the ongoing symposium that we've talked about, uh, of scientia. What is knowledge? What is logic? What is reason? How do we apply that in the context of faith? Um, and, and one of the ideas uh, that that I've had and would love to work to figure out how to move forward is um, restoring the integrity of science by creating basically a double bind blind broker uh, so that those who are funding studies have no idea who's doing the research and who's doing the research has no idea who's doing the funding. Uh, and the reason for that is very clear and very simple. If you're doing scientific study, you're biased. If you know who's funding you, if you're being funded by big tobacco or big sugar, <laughs> we know those are studies, uh, that have happened in the past where the results are tainted. We keep using the word tainted. Uh, they came up with the results their funders wanted and the, the quote science wasn't science at all. It was propaganda. Um, there's a lot of noise out there in the world and it's all getting called science. How do we cut through that? Well, I don't have the detailed capacity to do that, but I do have the capacity to logically look at this and saying without the discipline of humble obedience to what science is supposed to be, which is the scientific method, which is a disciplined method to go through and explore being explorers of God's natural truth for the betterment of humanity. Without that science loses its way and devolves into serving somebody's agenda rather than discovering the wondrous, beautiful truth God has given us, um, in his natural law. Well, just a couple of points to piggyback on that, Deacon Patrick. I mean, uh, back when I was a trial attorney, 
Um, I mean, the, it was almost a, a joke, but it was it wouldn't be so funny if it weren't so true. Was when you needed an expert witness, whether it was for toxicology or whether it was for any, and I'm using air quotes, scientific fact, you could find an expert to give any opinion that you wanted. Uh, and then you should know that your opponent can find the same. And uh, it's just a, I guess, more jaded view of what you described as uh, when scientists know who's funding them or know uh, who they're trying to please, they can. Um, not necessarily twist the facts, but massage the facts uh, to reach whatever desired outcome they have. So, yeah, true science being a, uh, a search for the truth um, really is something that needs to be reclaimed. And um, I, I, I gave a homily a few weeks ago uh, and and quoted uh, or paraphrased Inigo Montoya from The Princess Bride saying, you all keep on using that word science. I do not think it means what you think it means. So. <laughs> well, and actually, as, as, as you two have been talking, it actually made me think of um, a book that a priest friend of mine wrote uh, a few years ago. It, it was, um, I think it was published mostly as an ebook, but he, he he was um uh focusing on uh St. John Henry Newman's uh idea of what a university is and i, I mean basically i think it, in its um truest sense what a university is supposed to be is a place where people can ha- have the freedom to search for the truth you know without any um pressures or agendas, um, from out, you know, so-called outside interests. And interestingly enough, um, there was a, um, a columnist on Catholic news service recently who wrote, um, a column about the problems that we're seeing now in modern society with the fact that people don't have any, you know, sense of of truth what what truth is and he also pointed back to you know this is this is where catholic um universities now need to step in and um play the role that they were designed to to play which is um you know help help facilitating this this search for truth and i i thought it was interesting you know he was kind of um I, I think what he was saying is is that um, you know u- universities have maybe on some level and colleges you know focused more on you know the diplomas and um, that kind of thing the the graduation rates you know kind of more the commercial aspect but what's really needed now is is for universities to step up and um, provide the place where people can have these kinds of discussions. And um, so we just dedicated the St. John Henry Newman chapel here in Colorado Springs. Maybe, um, maybe this is, this is a good sign. I don't know. (laughs) Well, I wanted to return back to something you had said earlier, Veronica, and that was the, it sounded like uh, 
you'd, you'd gotten a lot of comments. Um, I think you'd said that, that were against the church voicing an opinion on, on this. And I wasn't sure what the pronoun referred to, uh, but I, by context, it sounded like they were against the church saying, um, don't take the abortion tainted vaccine. Right. right. Yeah. No, that's um, correct. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, and my own observation, uh, and hearing from others, uh, that, that, that seems to match this is fear itself is not a sin, but fear is a lever that Satan uses to cause us to sin without looking at things using the logic and reason that God gave us. And I've quoted this before, uh, St. Gregory of Nyssa describes uh, reason as the highest faculty of the soul. So to anyone who is feeling the fear of the virus, fear of it's getting spread everywhere, I would encourage you to um, take a breath <laughs> and and look at what the facts are around this. Bring those to prayer. Work to cut through the noise and not let fear drive what your actions are or your response to this podcast or whether you take the vaccine, receive the vaccine, um, or whether you get mad at others for not taking it. Uh, instead, use the highest faculty in the soul, your reason, to humbly look at what the facts are and use that to help you know how to move forward. Uh, because we're all striving all faithful are striving to run towards Christ and we're striving to do so in a world that has changed dramatically in the last year, two years. And before that, in ways we didn't see in order for it to change this much in the last two years. Um, and we need to come together as faithful eyes on Christ so that we can be the light of Christ to a world in the valley of the shadow of death. Well, and to, uh, as we wrap this up, um, at the risk of quoting like a Catholic, as we move through Lent and towards Holy Week, we'll, we'll hear the story of Jesus being brought before Pilate and you know, Pilate's words sort of echoing the relativistic culture today of what is truth. Remember what Jesus said. Jesus said before that, this is the reason he was born and came into the world, was to testify to the truth and that everyone who belongs to the truth listens to his voice. So let's all try and do that and uh, what? trust Jesus and have faith and trust in truth, logic, and reason. And uh, I think. Uh, this can be a very fruitful lunch for everyone. Deacon Doug, would you lead us in a closing prayer, please? Sure. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, 
Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc in an ora mortis nostre. Amen. Thanks, everyone, for joining us for this episode of the Catholic Halos podcast.